0: Hello and welcome to today's Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Gawler, your host. The show, as usual, is brought to you by the Grace Gawler Institute for Integrated Cancer Solutions, and we are located on the Gold Coast in Australia, but we have a global outreach to cancer patients, to clients everywhere. You can contact me always on my email. If you look on the webpage, you'll find that, or you can go to the website, which is gracescholainstitute.com. You can also follow up each week on my blog, and the blog address is gracescholamedia.com, and there you'll find resources and links associated with the interviews on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Today, I have a very special guest, Jeffrey Dislandis. He's written a wonderful little book, a very inspiring book about his recovery from stage four lymphoma. He's going to share his story through the ups and the downs, and then how he actually found his solution after four recurrences over several years. He had a period of time when it looked like everything was very grim and there was no hope because he had become resistant to his chemotherapy treatments, including monoclonal antibody treatment. So he's going to share with us, From Cancer, Good Things Grow today. I'm going to read something from the beginning of his book. It's a poem attributed to Mother Teresa, and it says a lot about Geoffrey Deslandes and his attitude to life. And it may very well be why he's here today alongside uh, his treatment with the vaccines. It goes like this. People are often unreasonable, illogical and self-centred. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motive. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win. Some false friends and some true enemies succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend your years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the best you have And it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. And on that note, I'd like to introduce to navigating the cancer maze, Geoffrey Dislandis, to tell us about his story. Welcome to the show, Geoffrey.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Um, I'll just get you to speak up just a little bit, if you can, uh, Geoffrey. That's great. Um, Now, you have a book from Cancer Good Things Grow, wonderful title, which we're going to talk about during the show today. Now, you write that the book is about my life leading up to my first diagnosis with cancer, The Cancer Journey and my life beyond cancer very important I'll do my best to explain what it is really like to be faced with life-threatening cancer you say so Geoffrey can you tell our listeners today about your life before being diagnosed with cancer yes
2: it's a bit hard to know where to start but um, I just had a what I would call a normal life I never thought of cancer or being faced with a life-threatening illness but um, my life was my my work and my family. Um, I went to university, got a bachelor's degree in engineering. I went to University of Melbourne, got a master's and then a PhD, doctor of philosophy in mechanical engineering and set off with my career. Along the way, got married, had three children, two girls and a boy and then got divorced and remarried again and had a another boy and a girl so ended up with five children and um i guess my career was you know what i call in the book bringing home the bacon where you provide for your family and you aspire to um, improve your career improve your income you know you all the benefits that come with a job and all the benefits from the, the company that you work for that that i thought was what life was about
0: Mm, and that was to change. It was very <laughs> So uh, your diagnosis must have been really devastating at the time. B-cell, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, follicular mixed with small and large cells stage 4 with the BCL2 gene translocation, spleen and bone marrow involvement, that is a shocker of a diagnosis so let's go back to that day in 1999 if we can when you were first diagnosed with cancer and can you explain your diagnosis from the medical point of view and share your personal experiences from that day Um,
2: yes, I mean I didn't realized i was sick i i was in a career of executive position with a large mining company we have yearly health checkups and i was checked up the previous year and they said no everything's fine and then a few months later i start to feel a little bit tired at night especially at night time and a little bit bloated after meals but a bit of back pain but i had no idea that was a disease growing in me and then um at one stage, I got very tired and, and a pain under the chest, and um, eventually they found the spleen had doubled in size and was pushing on the rib cage, and they sent me for a CT scan, and then uh, I to go to the doctor for the diagnosis, and uh, I just called in on the way, I, doctors on the way I am from work, as I normally do, um, you know, diligent worker, and um, the doctor sat there and he said, oh, unfortunately, you've got you know stage four uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I was just, I just burst, <laughs> sorry, mm. burst into tears. I mm. just uh,
1: so mm. shattered. I
2: was what? <laughs> couldn't believe it. You know, it was just like, and you know, unfortunately, was the first word that he said was, um, I just couldn't believe that I was so sick and so gravely ill with this cancer
0: Oh. So what happened uh, from that point onwards then? I guess you, you went into the hole from being a normal person walking around, you, you went down that corridor where uh, it's all very uh, indefinite and strange and unfamiliar.
2: Oh, you just opened up a whole new world. Like Friday, i you know come, as I say, called in the doctors on the way home from work and then never went back to work. Started Monday, the whole thing started off to the oncologist and a whole series of tests. And away it went. Chemotherapy and tests and waiting and more tests and just went on from there.
0: Yeah, it's a very rugged time. Um, now, in looking back, uh, you write in your book, uh, which, by the way, I really love the title and it's the title of this show From Cancer, Good Things Grow. I'll talk to you about that title later, but I love it and uh, you wrote in your book you probably experienced in looking back the five stages of grief experienced uh, and described by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her writings can you speak to those stages of grief from your personal experience a la denial anger bargaining depression acceptance
2: yeah I guess my first um, feeling was denial denial I didn't believe that I was could have had life-threatening cancer You know, what they told me about the non Hodgkin's lymphoma was it would probably respond to treatment, but they couldn't cure it, and I certainly, you know, may certainly die. So I couldn't believe that that was me. So it took some time for me to accept that, yes, I did have cancer. I also felt it was like anger. I felt it was very unfair that someone like me should get cancer. I had, you know, family, five children. I had, um, great career i was a what i call a kind person helped other people i wasn't overweight i didn't smoke i hardly drank i was fit and healthy ate the you know ate the right food Mm -hmm. it seemed very unfair that someone like me should be chosen
0: (laughs) wouldn't mind a dollar for every time i've heard that
2: (laughs) yeah it doesn't seem to be actually just a comment it seems to be an unfairness of about cancer it seems to my observation and people say i'm you know, people don't always agree with me, but my observation is is that nice people get cancer. Seems to be people who help others and take on a, maybe other people's problems, but people who have got everything to live for, or you know, are generally nice people, seem to be sometimes struck by the cancer. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: it's just an observation. Yeah, yeah, a uh, few have made that observation too.
2: Yeah, and then probably the next uh, feeling I felt was depression. I felt very depressed that uh, my life was going to be or could be over and that everything I'd strived in life to be like, um, you know, whatever your, your career aspirations or your retirement, travelling you know, seeing your children grow up that that all might be ended, so I felt very depressed that, you know, that, that may not happen and, um, and then probably the last one would be acceptance, uh, you know accepted that yes, the cancer is here and um, we're going to hit it on the head and Let's go and uh, fight this thing. And don't just sit back and accept it as, you know, fait accompli, but attack it and get on with it.
0: Did you do the bargaining stage as well? You know, uh, Kubler-Ross talks about that where, you know, you sort of try to make a deal with God. If only I do this, this might happen.
2: Yeah, I guess I did quietly, yeah. I haven't sort of, yeah, sort of a personal thing. But, yeah, I probably did that, yes.
0: Mm. so uh, what did you do you think that uh, allowed you to be more accepting at the diagnosis time So, anything in particular that you know came forward
2: not that I put a thing on no no it was just
0: an internal process um, I guess for you then looking at how one accepts because there's a lot of negatives and then suddenly you've just got to get on with it
2: engineered by training and, you know, sort of, I guess, in the end it came down to, well, we've got to go through the mechanical steps of having the, you know, treatment for the cancer and just go through that step by step and just go through it mechanically.
0: That's actually a very good point and I hadn't thought of it that way but it's now very obvious to me uh, because if you can have a structured life and you can then sort of uh, fall off the perch a little bit with with a diagnosis or bad news, you can pick yourself up again if you're a person who can structure things and I think that's something quite significant you've uh, you've just said there. Um, so, Jeffrey, knowing what you know now after cancer, and in line with the five stages you've just talked about, you're a really optimistic person, as I've got to know you recently uh, in our conversations. How do you equate the concept of positive thinking with being real about cancer and, and dealing with what is, rather than putting sort of a, a false positive thinking on it? I mean, we all like to think positive, positively and be optimistic. Um, that there's a realness about what you've written and what you say
2: Yes I think it's very important to have positive thinking I, I think I, write, I feel myself I'm a stubborn person I, I'm not going to let this person this cancer t- you know get the better of me but other people have described it better determined is probably a better a better way of putting it but um, I think it's um, important to say well okay I've got cancer I'm going to get on with it treated and not not let it rule my life and um, as I say in the book you know cancer we're a person with you know something like a hundred trillion cells and maybe only a handful of those cells have cancer yet we let ourselves call you know a cancer victim or cancer patient or we let that let those cancer cells dominate us we're we're 99.9 percent normal cells so we've got a tendency to let a small number of cancer cells dominate us as a person.
0: Mm, mm. That, that's uh, also very true and a good point I know uh, sometimes when people come into uh, my clinic to see me I'll ask them what's right with them and <laughs> they look at me as if I have two heads <laughs> well, I'm here to know what's wrong with me and for you to help me and uh, I think that reframe of looking at what is right with you rather than focusing on the what is wrong very helpful, I've heard that from a number of survivors so there's probably key tip number uh, number two um, okay, now you underwent several medical treatments from that diagnosis in 1999 through to 2006. Um, can you tell us what the treatments were and walk us through the journey of that time and, of course, four, four recurrences?
2: Yes, it was quite a journey. Um, 1999, when I was first diagnosed, uh, we did the normal chemotherapy, which is... Um, um cyclophosphamide it's called CHOP or CVP actually but cyclophosphamide vincristine, Christine epirubicin and prednisolone that's the standard treatment for um, lymphoma at the, in those days and um, there was a new drug coming along called Mabthera or in the US they call it Rituximab that wasn't available in Australia at that time so we went, proceeded without that mm-hmm. so we had this CVP treatment um, that extended over about three to four months and it was quite aggressive, I lost my hair, not that that's a big deal, but, um, you know, it was quite debilitating, the treatment, and um, I didn't didn't know whether the treatment would work, so we had, you know, obviously tests through, throughout the period, and at the end of the, of the eight treatments, um, the cancer had shrunk pretty much, pretty, pretty much gone, and the, the scans they did was showing that, that it wasn't active, so I was declared to be, you know, not exactly in remission but the treatment had worked and um we'll see how things went from there but i i was told before i started treatment that the cancer was incurable and my doctor told me as long as the sun shines in the sky today my cancer would come back he didn't know when it when it would come back but he said it it will come back so he left me under no illusions that the cancer would return which was a bit of a shock (laughs) to know that they could the cancer would respond to treatment but it would not disappear. And uh, surely, as he spoke, probably six months later, um, the cancer recurred, this time actually in my mouth for some funny reason, but I had a lump come up in my mouth, and I said to my oncologist that the, I had a lump in my mouth, and he said, oh, no, don't be silly, it's just a, a block saliva gland, and the lump got bigger, so in the end I took my own action and went back to the surgeon who'd done the first biopsy and uh, had it taken out and had it analysed and sure enough it was lymphoma again and my oncologist rang up and said, oh, you've got lymphoma again. I said, what well, told you? You didn't listen to me, did you? But anyway, <laughs> Jeffrey,
0: so. I'm just going to stop you at this and I'd love to come back and finish this, this segment. We just have to take a short break now in navigating the cancer maze. Don't go away, folks. You're listening today to a wonderful story of Jeffrey Deslandes and his recovery from stage 4 lymphoma back soon welcome back to navigating the cancer maze i'm grace Gawler, your host and here today with jeffrey deslandes who has a remarkable story to share with you about how he recovered from stage 4 lymphoma Um, jeffrey before the break we were actually looking at uh, your second time around where you had the tumor diagnosed in your mouth can you take us forward from that time up to 2006
2: yeah, so 2000, the cancer returned for the first time in my mouth and um, I was the one who initiated the action to have it, have it analysed. But anyway, we, so at that stage we went for a new treatment, the Mabthera or Rituximab, which is a monoclonal antibody which has uh, less side effects. So we had that treatment and uh, had the, the lesion in my mouth cut out and um, then the cancer went away for, a, 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 for another four years. So wasn't until 2004, I was sitting in bed one day, and on Father's Day, I guess it was, and I felt a couple of lumps in my groin. I thought, oh, that's a bit unusual. So back to the doctors, and yes, lymphoma again in both sides of the groin. So we again went for the map treatment, and then that went away for maybe nine months, and then it was back again in the groin. So this time the doctor said we will have to go for more chemotherapy. So we had a new type of cream. Uh, when you have chemotherapy, they don't give you the same one again because your body gets used to it, so they give you a different one. So we had fludarabine, cyclophosphamide and Mabthera together and um, that lasted for about another six months. and Then 2006, it was back for the fourth time. So we're thinking, hmm, this is not too good. Um, it's been becoming resistant to chemotherapy as they had predicted and the recurrence is becoming more Um,
0: more frequent How did you deal with the fact of this recurrence after recurrence and it's really tough maybe second time around it's it's easier to deal with but when it starts to be number three and number four um, have you identified anything within yourself that that gave you hope to keep pushing on through that
2: I was becoming despondent because it was following the normal um, expected um, pattern of becoming resists the chemotherapy and more frequent, but um, yeah, I guess I'm pretty stubborn, I guess as a, as a person.
0: Okay, key number three. <laughs> Stubbornness pays off. <laughs> Make yourself an in- inhospitable host. Sorry.
2: Determination may be another, a better
1: word. Isn't
0: it? <laughs> yes, yes, possibly a better word, because uh, it brings back commitment to to the to the goal. Um, so now we're up to your relapse, uh, 2006. You opted for a new type of treatment how did you learn about this treatment because this is very early days mm. uh, um, in the vaccine department uh, can you walk us also through the steps that were involved and if you can go into a bit of detail there it may be very helpful for listeners today
2: mm. Yeah, well, 2006 after the fourth relapse they were suggesting a stem cell transplant using my own stem cells but for some in re- some internal reason I wasn't comfortable with that and I had become aware of some experimental work being done in Brisbane where they grow your own vaccine from your cancer cells so they take out the sample of the cancer and some special blood cells called dendritic cells and produce your own body's individual vaccine to the cancer and to me that made a lot of sense because, uh, probably as an engineer but it seems it's using your immune system to fight the cancer and to remove it and it seemed to make so much sense to me i was aware of this because i was a member of a group called lymphoma australia a lymphoma support group based in brisbane mm-hmm. and i was aware of some work being done at the i think it was the queensland institute of medical research and the technology was being researched there so i um i was aware of it through that so i said to my doctor in melbourne i was not having his stem cell transplant and I was going to Brisbane to have a vaccine made and um, that would be what I was doing. And he crossed his arms and probably swore under his breath and wasn't very impressed that I'd made a decision against his uh, learned um, sort of technology, you know, learned um, acceptance, yeah.
0: Yeah, and there it is, another key. Be prepared to look outside the box. yeah. Yeah, for treatments that may not be commonly known but also scientifically valid
2: yes well I mean this, the guy who was making the vaccine he's a haematologist with a PhD he's, no, he's, not, he's not a quack he's very, you know, very intelligent smart man doing some special research so it just something inside me said no this is what I want to do I'm not having the stem cell transplant I'm having my own vaccine and that's what I was going to do and then I was determined that that was going to work so I went up to Brisbane. They did an operation to remove a lymph node from the groin. You need a lymph node 15 millimetres or larger, mm-hmm. and they then extract some special blood cells called dendritic cells. Dendritic means tree-like, for some reason. But dendritic cells are a component of your blood, which are very important in your immune system. And they put you on the apheresis machine, which is like a centrifuge, spin out these dendritic cells. And then they mix the dendritic cells basically with the tumour in a test tube and it it gets your own body's antibody to your cancer. And then they multiply that using cell culture to produce a vaccine. So it's your own individual body's antibody to your specific cancer. So it's absolutely, you know, it's called an idiotype vaccine. So it's targeted to your every little intricacy, intricacy of your cancer is contained in your vaccine. So it's in you know, fascinating stuff.
0: And how often uh, did you have to have the vaccine? And and when uh, along that pathway, of the vaccine did uh, your doctor start to see a response?
2: Yes. Well, we initially had injection for once a week for four weeks, and then once a fortnight for four weeks. So that was uh, eight injections over three months, and I was all clear after that. So I wow. made thirty-three doses of the vaccine, which they kept in freezer so we still had 27 uh left or sorry 20 25 left and then uh we just said well i'll come up every two months and have an injection every two months so i pr- trotted up every two months and um, uh, um, we just kept testing on the way and everything's fine so probably a couple of years into the treatment the my doctor in melbourne accepted yes this this cancer treatment is working. I was
0: going to ask that question. Did you go back to him and say, "Look at me, uh, I'm doing well"?
2: Um, yes. Actually, at one stage, when I was there, he said, "Oh, look, I'm I'm sorry, the cancer's relapsed." I said, "I said no, it hasn't." He said, "Yes, it has." And he, we so I agreed to have a CT scan and other tests. And and in the end, he said, "Well, you're right. The number's wrong." So he's given up now. So. I have an arrangement, if the cancer comes back, I tell him first, but uh, he was adamant that the cancer would come back, so, but uh, I was right. So that was, that was a couple of years into the vaccine. So we're now eight and a half years down the track, still remain cancer-free, and I still have injections. We're spitting the injections out so once every four months at the moment. In fact, I only have one injection left, so we'll have that probably next February. And that'll be the last injection we have so we've used up all the injections we have we have no more tumor we can't make any more cancer uh, any more vaccines because we don't have any cancer
0: wow that must be a real problem <laughs>
2: <laughs> no not really because your immune system has a memory of every disease you've had so we're expecting that after nine years of, of vaccine my immune system will have a memory of what that cancer vaccine looks like it's ever needed
0: so you must have been uh, one of the very early patients here in Australia, having this. Are you aware of any other patients who have gone through this process? Did you meet other patients along no. the way?
2: No, I haven't met other patients. I'm aware that this particular doctor has had some very good successes with both lymphoma and also melanoma, but I haven't met those patients because of you know, privacy considerations.
0: No, no patient uh, waiting room chats then?
2: No,
0: no. I, I guess you were straight in and straight out once you just get your vaccine. Yeah. Well, it's
2: only a five minute procedure. All you do is walk in and they just put your the injection into your leg in a few spots and you walk out. So there's no you know, no pain, no side effects, no. That's it. That's what I haven't probably mentioned, but the vaccine has no side effects, so you don't have any, any whatsoever negative you know, side effects from the treatment. It's just an injection into your leg.
0: Well, wow. and after what you had been through with all of your treatments, you really must have thought this was in the realm of the miraculous.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Because yes. they're very, very rugged uh, treatments, some of those ones you mentioned earlier.
2: Yes, and as I say, I've had probably the cancer five times in the first seven years, and then since I have started the, tr- the vaccine, which is now approaching nine years, I've been cancer-free, so that's a remarkable turnaround from where I was sitting back in 2006. Unbelievable.
0: Uh, I'm going to ask you this next question we will run over into another break and of course we can continue but so often with cancer recovery and particularly it seems with remarkable recoveries there's often a person who comes into your life from out of left field and um, I'd like to ask you about uh, that person and many people also say that there's some kind of a spiritual experience and an awakening if you like that comes uh, through the cancer uh, journey and we talk a lot on the show about science in healing so much we don't know, so much mystery could you share your story about meeting Jennifer Alderman and her impact on your cancer recovery as I said we will go into the next segment with this as well
2: sure, yeah well I guess it was late in 2006 after I started the treatment I'd met this lady Jennifer Alderman at a basketball stadium in Morningston where our sons were playing table tennis together and um, she heard me talking about the vaccine and she said well I've heard about you I said what do you mean and she said well I went to see a medium called Michael Cartwright and I was having a session and she, he started telling me about a gentleman I was going to meet a male who was having injections for uh, treatment and it was the best that modern medicine could, could offer but she'd been told about my journey uh, before we actually met which sort of you know <laughs> <in my mind. laughs>
0: ooh twilight zone material <laughs>
2: Gave me confidence that you know that whatever you like, the universe or the spirit world or whatever you like to say, there was there's something outside what I knew which was sort of directing me towards this treatment. And what the message was that this treatment, there was really something in this treatment, and it's like I'm like a pebble in a pond, proving the treatment for other patients. And they told me along the way that this treatment was working and would work. And that gave me a lot of Confidence,
0: I suppose, that there was something in what I was doing. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a break right at this point, Geoffrey. Don't go away, folks. You'll be back to hear the rest of this story and about the wonderful book that Geoffrey has written about his life and his recovery from cancer back soon. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Gawley, your host here today with Jeffrey Deslandes who's talking about his recovery from stage 4 lymphoma and he has written a fantastic book. I have it here sitting in front of me on the desk. It's got a great vibe about it. It's a good read. It's a, it's a simple but profound read and I really recommend it. It's called From Cancer Good Things Grow, and you're probably getting a little bit of the drift that this has been an experience of uh, Jeffrey's, where he's really spun um, gold from straw. <laughs> OK, uh, Jeffrey, the impact that the book had on you writing your story, why did you write it? What was the um, the push that you had to get this message out? And also uh, more about the, the book itself and its impact on you actually writing it. OK, yeah, well
2: when i met jennifer it turned out she was what's called an intuitive massage therapist where you go and have a massage but she tells you amazing things about your body or about you from massaging you so it's a bit maybe a bit hard for readers to understand but you're sort of having a massage but she's you know the room's sort of filled with people who, who have passed on and they're telling you telling you things to her and um She's telling you stuff about what the universe is is saying to you. And what they were saying was this vaccine therapy needs to be got out there. It needs to be accepted. And there's a lot of closed doors. Doctors don't want to accept it. And we need to get the message out that vaccine therapy is working, will work, and can be used for all cancers. And it's just an amazing story. So the message they were saying to you, is, to me, was... Need to be told about the vaccine and they're saying the message is not getting out there and through one session with Jennifer she said I want you to write they're saying to you to write a book and she said the book's in three parts before cancer the cancer journey and life after cancer And but it's totally up to you, you, you we'd like you to do it but don't feel you have to, it's your decision anyway I thought about it and I went home and then one morning, about quarter to five, I woke up from bed, and, which is unusual for me, and I went into the lounge room and I grabbed some sheets of A4 paper, about eight sheets, and I scribbled for about an hour and a half, and that was the complete outline of the book. I just scribbled, and then I just sat down and filled in that book, filled in those, um, that outline, and that was how I wrote the book. It was such an easy book to write because it was laid out for me, um on this on these sheets of paper so the process of writing the book probably only took about three months because um you know people said to me oh you have to do a writing course before you write a book i said no i don't it's, it's not it i don't have to make the story up it's, it's my life story it's all there for me so it was very easy to write because um it was laid out for me
0: mm, fantastic uh you hadn't had much background in this kind of thing before, so how how was it for you, kind of hearing this information? And um, I guess you were obviously open to it.
2: Yes, I didn't have any medical background at all, but I was surprised how quickly I, I picked that area up and uh, very familiar with it now, compared to engineering. <laughs>
0: Now look on the cover of the book. Uh, as I said, love the title. Um, was the title something you came up with? Because uh, it's a beautiful reframe of such a negative thing like cancer. You know, from cancer, good things grow, and the relationship with the cells. I think it's fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's got a hidden meaning. I, I, I came up with the title. Just came to me one day, and it was, I emailed the journalist, and she said, "Absolutely, that's perfect." Um, yeah, it's got two meanings, I guess. From cancer. Just how, what good things coming out of can? What good things come out of having had cancer yourself as a person? So I'm talking about that. But it's also from cancer the vaccine is grown. So that's the hidden title, yeah. the hidden meaning of the title is from cancer the good thing the vaccine is grown.
0: And uh, on the cover, I see that uh, it looks like you've been in a race of some kind. Uh, tell us about that.
2: Uh, just I took up started to take up running. So that was just a 10 kilometre run in the Melbourne Marathon in 2009. I'd ran 51 minutes, so I was pretty proud of. So that was just at the Melbourne Cricket Ground after the marathon, or after the 10 kilometre run. So that's just a photo that was taken. Yeah, but I was trying to prove also that just because you've had cancer, there's nothing you can't do afterwards. Why, you know, it doesn't stop me doing anything.
0: The yeah, it's a great photo. It's uh, looks like someone who's a winner. <laughs> and by the way, I think just just a ten kilometre run. I think that's quite impressive. <laughs> Okay. Um, I want to move on uh, to, uh, as you said, the sections in the book. And uh, in the first section, there's uh, one called Titled uh, Relationships. I'd like to uh, revisit the several areas of relationship in your life uh, before, during and after cancer. Um You mention how it was uh, with your wife. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in 1960, your mum, you say, was diagnosed with breast cancer. How did she manage and what was the impact on you given her diagnosis and ultimately her survival?
2: Yes, well, my mother had um, breast cancer and she had a mastectomy removal of the breast and um, there was no other treatment in those days. But um, she was... um had great religious faith and she sort of that carried her through but um she sort of i did, to be honest it didn't have a great impact on me because i was quite young my father was devastated i think the fact that you know his wife losing a losing breast i suppose was you know pretty significant and uh, but um she just put it behind her and uh, she lived for another 45 years after that and didn't die from breast cancer so it didn't affect her Survival, whatsoever.
0: <laughs> you guys might have a survivor gene in the family. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't know. laughs> um, so, certainly, at some level, that uh, might have an impact or have, has had an impact on you. Um, I was interested in the section about when you were diagnosed and how tough that is on partners. And I think so many people listening today are going to relate to this um how did your wife cope i mean you had a couple of small kids i think still at home didn't you um when you were diagnosed and you're the breadwinner you become very very ill that's a lot of pressure on a relationship
2: yeah it did put a lot of pressure on the relationship because suddenly i was home um i was still bringing money in for the first period but um and then i had to retire from work so it did put a lot of pressure on it and um she became very angry and um House, home life became not very pleasant and that was at an added pressure when I was going through treatment so it wasn't a very harmonious time and I guess in later years I learned that my wife didn't love me through sickness and health and you know some probably some seven years later than I chose to leave at that stage I didn't do it straight away Yeah, but it did add add pressure to our relationship very much.
0: And very difficult for someone who's going through uh, an illness and and something that might not have a good outcome. Uh, It's a very unattended to area and, you know, you cross over it in the book but I think it's very important that you have it in there because I think this is not an uncommon experience.
2: No, it's very hard for a a partner to know how to act when when their partner is, um, you know, having cancer treatment quite a difficult area
0: yes and back in those days too it wasn't as much good news around as there seems to be uh, today but uh, for anybody who is listening and if you see yourself in that pattern uh, perhaps you could get yourself uh, an appointment with a counsellor a hospital counsellor nurse practitioner counsellor because i think it's very helpful to talk about the issues that are going on at home because you know they really can be very stressful and impact um, healing Um, so what about relationships with others, uh, Jeffrey, friends, family, since your diagnosis and recovery, do people treat you differently?
2: Uh, they tend to, yeah. Uh, I, you know, when you say people say, "Well, the first conversation is what what do you do?" Because people expect you to work, you know, for, for a position in a company. Is is that is that who you are? I say, "Oh, look, I'm I'm retired. I'm unemployed." Um, I say, "Oh, you're so lucky." I said, no, I've had cancer. And they go, oh, you've had cancer. And they then look down upon you. So I say, well, there's nothing to be looked down upon. I've never been healthier, but it's just a journey I've been through. But people do treat you differently because you've had cancer. They think you're going to die. So I've tended now to not actually mention that too often, just say I've retired or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, not a great calling card. (laughs) No.
2: I guess going through the journey you do work out who your true friends are those that stick through you with through thick and thin and those that have, you know, not, not bothered so it helps you sort out those true friends in your life
0: Yeah, and, and some of those true friends uh, are they people from back a long way or are they more people that you've gathered along the way uh,
2: Yeah, just people I've gathered along, along the way but um, you know, I've worked out now who those friends are who those friends and family are Yes
0: Mm. so uh, the relationship with the oncologist uh, in Brisbane that was making the vaccines um, kind of what do you think about him today and uh, what are your uh, kind of survival thoughts I suppose because he's really uh, provided you with another chance at life I mean that's so I know from my own personal experience having had surgeries overseas and having my own life saved um, it's pretty remarkable and the respect I think that you can generate for these people is incredible. How is it for you with this guy?
2: Oh, yes, I've got a very good relationship with him because he's known me now for almost nine years and um, uh, he's always very pleased to see me and they you know, continue, continue to be amazed by my survival and um, I guess I'm one of his star patients um, and I've along the way supported his foundation that he had to to fund his work so I've donated to that and given my time and given talks and so forth but yeah we have a good relationship
0: Great, we're going to come back in a moment uh, in the last session today we'll tell you a little bit more about the book we'll tell you where you can uh, buy this book what a great gift for someone at Christmas time who's been diagnosed, particularly with a blood based cancer, but I think basically any cancer so uh, if you're looking for a good read for somebody I'd highly recommend it and uh, when we come back after the break we'll talk more about where the funds are going from this book so don't go away, we'll be back shortly on Navigating the Cancer Maze with Geoffrey Dislandis. And welcome back to our last session today on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Uh, I know you have uh, will have enjoyed today listening to Geoffrey's story. So, Geoffrey, uh, what are some of the key learnings? If you could do a bit of a recap over um, what we've just spoken about in this last uh, 50 minutes. Uh, key learnings from your story that you can pass on to others.
2: Yes, I think probably what I've learned is life is precious and it can change so quickly. Your survival can suddenly be upturned. and you know you need to learn what's important in your life. And um, I guess for me, I've learned that um, your work, for a man, your position in a company is not who you are. So I thought I was an environmental manager at BHP, and worldwide company, and that's who I was, and. And then I've learned that's not who I was, you know, that's just the position in the company. And a lot of men in particular think that's who they are in life. And uh, there's far more important things than um, your work position, you know, your family, your, your own private life. So um, I think that's an important thing I learned, that um, there's far more important things than that. And I guess also to never give up that um, determination, to never give up and accept... Uh, uh, some, what someone else is saying is being true. Um, so, you know, I was told that my cancer would invariably come back and I would die, and uh, I wouldn't accept that. And uh, there are many, many cases of people with cancer who have survived the odds, and it's inexplicable how, how they you know, you know, survived against all medical evidence. So um, you always got to cling to hope and be determined
0: very good advice um, is there anything we haven't talked about today from the book uh, you very kindly sent me some copies and uh, I have read it um, so that's why I can recommend it to everybody uh, anything from the book that you'd like to share or anything indeed at all um, that we might not have touched on so far um,
2: you know, it's not a not a long book and i didn't see the point of putting my whole life story in the book it's more i've kept the book deliberately fairly short so that people who may have cancer can't have the wouldn't have the concentration to sit through a long book so Mm -hmm. what i've tried to do is keep the book fairly short and concise and more relevant to um the cancer so who who i thought i was prior to the cancer then the cancer journey and then The Life After Cancer. So it's, um, yeah, I think a fairly concise book.
0: I like some of the photos in there too.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I've tried to make it real by having actual photos in there of of my life as I've gone through it. And, uh, yeah, I guess we didn't touch on my brother who was 26 when he died from a brain tumour. So that was sort of another... Member of the Deslandes family, family afflicted by cancer. but poor David died when he was 26 from the brain tumour. So that was probably pretty devastating to myself and to my parents at that stage. Uh, so that was something that we, I haven't, we haven't talked about before. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I remember that from the book. Um, that must have been quite a, a devastating impact.
2: Yes, because I was 21 or 22 at the time. I, I thought them perhaps that I would have a brain tumour as well you know it had a big effect on me and probably still does but um, that's pretty you know there's a lot of people who lose a, a child through cancer or other means so it's not not that unusual but something you have to deal with
0: mm, it's, it's not unusual for people to have lots of relatives uh, close and otherwise in families these days who uh, have cancer mm. so your situation is very relatable um, I'm sure with many of our listeners um, getting along to where can people buy the book and, um, how is it, uh, how is it available? It's an e-book and a soft cover, isn't it?
2: Yes, you can, it's, um, it's, I think it's something like 15,000 bookstores online selling the book, but the main, the publisher is Balboa Press, so based in the US, so that's probably a good place. So just Google, from cancer, good things grow.
0: They do a lot of self-help books, don't they? They do, yeah. Yep, They're a yep, good organisation. Yeah. Good. And uh, so you've got the e-book, you've got the soft cover book, and tell us about what you're going to do with the proceeds from the book.
2: Um, we're looking at putting 100% of the proceeds to help uh, the doctor making the vaccine, so uh, any proceeds from the sales of the book will go towards the foundation supporting the vaccine research
0: which is absolutely fantastic because that's going to give a lot of other people uh, the opportunity uh, to have the treatment that you had
2: yes i don't know how i can say this but i know that vaccine therapy will one day be a normal treatment for all cancer i don't know how what basis i can say that but i just know it in my heart that vaccine will be used for all cancer treatment and it's such a simple process your own body's immune system um, has the capability of killing cancer cells it's part of its normal function so it's just assisting your immune system to recognize the cancer and to remove it and um, it's as simple as that and it doesn't have any side effects
0: Yep, makes a lot of sense. I don't know if you're aware in June of this year, it was uh, Immunotherapy Month uh, in the USA and I had uh, various guest speakers on and one from Cancer Research Institute in New York. They had just launched their new website because they're working in immunology and raising funds also for immunotherapies all around the world and they had a new website that they launched called I'mTheAnswerToCancer.com. And that's a really, really lovely title because more and more um, we're getting people now looking into the function of the immune system and instead of saying, well, there's a cancer in there, let's kill it, uh, your immune system already does know what to do. It just needs some help. That's
1: right, yes. That's...
0: Yeah, so it's very, very exciting. Um, what other things do you do in your life, Jeffrey? You've mentioned you like to do a bit of running. What are your other hobbies?
2: Oh, I make um, guitars out of... Biscuit tins. So I make um, what's called a slide guitar using a, a biscuit tin. That's one of my hobbies.
0: Wow, that's um, different.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, plays sort of, but it's a slide guitar. They so use a glass slide to sort of wobble the notes and mm-hmm. has, a, has a particular um, sound. Um, I've got five children that, even though they're grown up, they all seem to always need some sort of help. Um, do a bit of volunteer work. Um, also like to travel as well. Enjoy myself by travelling. So yeah. I'm not sure what else I do. That's
0: Sounds like a very full life <laughs> and a very enjoyable one.
2: Yeah, stay healthy because I'm, you know, absolutely perfect health and um, nothing I can't do. So I really enjoy it. Basically, I enjoy every day. Every day is a gift. So I just love every day. It's just get up and sunshine and travel and, yeah.
0: Great. It's a wonderful story. And, uh, Jeffrey. Going back to my introduction in your book from Cancer, Good Things Grow. You write, the book is about your life leading up to your first diagnosis, the cancer journey, and your life beyond cancer. And certainly today you have done your very best to explain what it's really like to be faced with life-threatening cancer and to come through that experience and uh, survive, and not only survive, thrive thank you so much for being available today to talk with us on navigating the cancer maze oh thank you it's been an absolute pleasure and folks buy the book (laughs) it'll help a lot of people i'll see you next week or at least we will meet on the airwaves and navigating the cancer maze have a wonderful weekend folks and i look forward to our next encounter on voice america health and wellness channel bye for now